please turn with me in your copies of God's Word to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. And this morning we continue our series uh, that we started last week going through this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to this young pastor, Timothy, in Ephesus. We saw last week that this letter is a divinely inspired manual for the church. It is a letter of pastoral wisdom given in order that we may see the church function the way that Christ Jesus commands. While much of this letter pertains to officers in the church, it's not only to them that it is given, but to all believers for your edification and your instruction as well. You must not forget that as we continue on in this book, that this letter is for each and every one of you. So with that in mind, hear now the word of our Lord from 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning at verse 8. But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious Gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust, and I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that He counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on Him to, to life everlasting. Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever. 
and ever. Amen. May God add a blessing to the reading of His Word, and now let us go to Him once again in prayer. O Lord, we are thankful for this Word which Thou hast given us, this Word which Thou hast by Thy singular care and providence kept pure in all ages. This Word which is life. This Word which is truth. This Word which is our meat and our drink. It is our sustenance. O Lord, we thank Thee for providing us with this divinely inspired manual for the church. That Christ Jesus has not left us alone to figure things out on our own but that Thou hast given us this letter to guide our feet, to ensure that we stay in the path which Thou hast ordained. O Lord, we thank Thee for this Gospel truth that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Oh, we thank Thee and praise Thee, O Lord. So now as we approach the preaching of this Word, we ask Thee, O Lord, to feed us by Thy Word. To nourish us and strengthen us. O Lord, cause us to grow in knowledge and wisdom and understanding. We ask, Lord, that Thy minister would preach not in the enticing words of man's wisdom, but would preach in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. O oh Lord, bless this Word we pray. In Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this letter shows forth God's love for His church. That He would not leave the church alone to deal with matters herself, but instead, the Lord has given us an instruction manual to aid in this. And as we saw last week, this is something that is absolutely necessary for the church. Even back in first century Ephesus, with a pastor who was directly trained by the Apostle Paul, he still needed that instruction manual. The main thrust of what Paul was advising Timothy on in the beginning of this chapter has to do with false teachers. Those who had begun to infuse uh, sound 
Christian doctrine with their own innovations and, and fables. Something which Paul says was causing confusion and dissension within the church. And we must be sure to keep pure that doctrine which we have had delivered unto us as well. Far too often churches get infiltrated by those self-seeking men who desire only to build themselves up and not build up the body. Men who would rather preach to tickle man's itching ears than to preach the whole counsel of God. It is our duty as the church and especially the duty of the elders of the church to protect the flock from such men when they begin to rise up among us. These men are hypocrites as we saw last week because they claim to know the law of God and to be teaching according to it. But Paul says in verse 7, they were desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. And so this is where our text this morning picks up. Paul begins here in this section to explain the nature of the glorious gospel to which he has been called to be a minister and what that same glorious gospel ministry should encompass there in Ephesus as well as here at Westminster. So we'll take up this theme of the glorious gospel ministry by considering three heads. First, the law of the Lord. Next, the grace of the Lord. And finally, the gospel of the Lord. So first, let us consider the law of the Lord. Paul said that these false teachers desired to be teachers of the law, but they didn't understand it. That seems to be the root of many errors which creep into the church, that those who are promoting these false teachings really do not understand the law of the Lord. So the Apostle here seeks to correct this error. Look at verses 8-10. through But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers, and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. Paul is here correcting one of the most grievous perversions of the law of the Lord, that it is made for a righteous man. Meaning that the keeping of the law is what is necessary for salvation. 
Friends, this is legalism in the highest degree. There are no works of the law that you can perform that will in any way merit your salvation. Recall Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Unfortunately, this perversion of the law is something that continues even to this day. And it is something that you must be on guard against yourselves both in the church as well as in your own hearts. Yes, the papists and the Arminians have adopted this perversion of the Gospel and they're easy to see and to avoid. But there are those who claim the title of Reformed who are teaching this very false Gospel as well. Your works are not an instrument in your justification. You are not in the covenant of grace by faith and then kept in the covenant by your faithfulness. These are perversions of the law of the Lord which must be condemned. And so it's important then to understand the right use of the law of the Lord. Historically, we have affirmed what is known as the three uses of the law. These can be summed up this way. The first use, convicting men of sin. The second use, restraining evil in society. And the third use, guiding believers in how they ought to live. So convicting, restraining, and guiding. So let's look at each of these three areas. The first use of the law is in convicting men of sin. This is the primary use of the law and it's what Paul is speaking of when he says that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing which is contrary to sound doctrine. In fact, he's essentially walking through the moral law of God in saying who the law is for. The first four descriptions really are summaries of those who, who break the law of the Lord with, with ungodly being the summation of those who violate the first table of the law, which is summarized in the first and greatest commandment that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And then he goes on and he specifies breaches of the second table of the law. Murders of fathers and murders of mothers. It condemns those who violate the fifth and the sixth commandments. 
manslayers, condemns further those violators of the sixth commandment, whoremongers, and them that defile themselves with mankind, uh, condemns those who violate the seventh commandment, men stealers, condemns those who violate the eighth commandment, and liars and perjured persons, condemns those who violate the ninth commandment. And he ends the list with the all-encompassing any other thing which is contrary to sound doctrine. Friends, the first use of the law convicts us of our sin. It shows us all that we have failed in every way to uphold that perfect and righteous standard and that we are all guilty. Calvin says it condemns us all and describes us as accursed since we are all part of Adam's race, which is both wicked and defiled. The law therefore summons everyone to appear before God. There are no exceptions. It condemns all of Adam's children and declares that they deserve to be cast out by God and that they can hope and look for nothing except to be destroyed by everlasting fire. But the law does not leave us to sit there in our condemnation. It does not leave us there to sit in our conviction without any hope. No, it points us towards the One who was able to perfectly fulfill that law in our stead. It shows us how sinful we are and that we need a Savior to redeem us from our sins. And so the law not only convicts, but in convicting, it points us towards Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is the first use of the law. The second use of the law is in restraining evil in society. The law of the Lord is given in order that all men may be able to live peaceable lives with one another. The law in and of itself cannot change human hearts. It can, however, serve to protect the righteous from the unjust. While not all societies may have the written moral law of God, uh, which is contained in the Scriptures, all societies have the light of nature and the law of God written on their hearts. This is why in nearly every civilization which has ever existed, they have had a law against the murdering of innocents and against the stealing of another man's goods. Calvin says this purpose is by means of its fearful denunciations and the consequent dread of punishment to curb those who, unless forced, have no regard to the rectitude uh, for rectitude and justice. It's a means by which the Lord has given mankind the ability to show a form of justice even in those societies which have not been enlightened by the gospel. 
So this is the second use of the law. And the third use of the law uh, is in guiding believers in how they ought to live. Friends, you are obligated to keep the law of the Lord. Not as a means of meriting salvation or favor with the Lord, but because you have been freed from the curses of the law and you obey out of gratitude for what the Lord has done for you. As a Christian, the law enlightens you to what is pleasing to your Father. Everything that you do ought to have the aim, to, uh, ought to have that as the aim as you seek to serve Him. And nothing is pleasing to the Father that is not in accordance to His law. Christ Jesus said in John 14.15, If you love Me, keep My commandments. And so this is the third use of the law. So we see, as Paul says in verse 8, that the law is good. It's good if it is used lawfully. Just because wicked men pervert the law and use that perversion to promote a false gospel does not mean that we should do away with it. No, it is always good and sound and profitable. Paul then goes on to speak of how the Lord has shown His grace. Look at verses 11-14. through 14. According to the glorious Gospel of the blessed God which, has committed, which was committed to my trust, and I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me. For that cause He counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. See the grace of the Lord put on display here as Paul recounts his own testimony. He says that he was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and injurious. This great apostle was a desperately wicked man prior to his conversion on the road to Damascus. He was a blasphemer in that he openly spoke out against the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was a Pharisee of the highest order, and so he knew of God, but he did not know the Lord Jesus. He saw this Christianity as a cult which was going to harm what he saw as the true religion. And so he sought to put an end to it. He was a persecutor and injurious in that he was one of the men who sought out Christians to either imprison them or to put them to death. He was there overseeing 
the stoning of Stephen. He was on his way to persecute Christians when Christ Jesus appeared to him. And I want you to notice how openly he speaks about these things which someone could easily use to bring reproach upon him and his work for the gospel. He willingly acknowledges his unworthiness and he magnifies the greatness of the grace of God which has been shown to him. Friends, there is nothing that you have done which the Lord cannot redeem. And the Lord can still use you even if you were a vile and wicked man just as the Apostle Paul was. Every one of us has been redeemed from the wicked ways in which we have once walked. Rejoice in that. Acknowledge your own unworthiness and magnify the greatness of the grace of God which has been shown to you. And the Lord shows Paul a particular grace that though he was once a wicked man, a blasphemer and persecutor and injurious, the Lord Jesus counted him faithful and put him into the ministry. This is crucial to understand, especially as we consider upcoming officer elections. You cannot put yourself in ministry. You cannot place yourself into an office which you are not called to. It is the Lord Jesus who raises up men to serve in the church. It is Christ's work as the king and head, the prophet and the teacher of his church, to put men into office in service to him. This is a condemnation of those false teachers in the church in Ephesus that they were not put into the ministry by Christ as Paul was. It's as if the words of the prophet Jeremiah in chapter 23 and verse 21 were being applied against the false teachers here. I have not sent these prophets, yet they ran. I have not spoken to them, yet they prophesied. And yes, this includes those who put themselves into into positions of leadership within the church without proper examination or governance over them. But it also applies to those who went through the proper procedures to enter into an office and yet they were never qualified and called to that work. The Apostle says that Christ enabled him and counted him faithful and put him into the ministry if you've not been called, equipped, qualified, and enabled to office within the church of Christ, you must not take on that responsibility. 
even if you've been elected by the congregation. Matthew Henry writes, Christ gives not only ability, but fidelity to those whom He puts into the ministry. He counted me faithful. And none are counted faithful but those whom He makes so. Christ ministers are, trust, are, are trusty servants, and they ought to be so, having so great a trust committed to them. Friends, this must never be forgotten. And friends, even if you are never put into the ministry by the Lord Jesus Christ, you have still experienced the grace of the Lord in this glorious Gospel. Let the Lord continue to work in your own life, equipping you and strengthening you, causing you to increase in knowledge and in wisdom so that you may walk in faithfulness to Him. You don't have to be an officer in the church to serve Christ Jesus or even to serve Him in the church. Seek out ways in which you can utilize your own gifts and graces for the edification of the body of believers. I think of those who have served the church uh, who, who the Lord has given uh, a great knowledge of, of technology and served the church in, in helping us get our online capabilities up and running here. I think of those whom the Lord has given a great love and an admiration for the natural things of the world and how they utilize that for the betterment of the church and keeping up the grounds which the Lord has blessed us with. I think of those who have been gifted with the ability to speak more than one language who have served Christ and His people by translating the services each week. Find ways to serve Christ and His church according to the gifts and the graces that He has given you. And be content in that. You don't have to be a pastor or an elder or a deacon in order to serve. You only have to be one who has experienced the grace of the Lord. And lastly, Paul goes on to give one of the most beautiful and concise explanations of the Gospel of the Lord ever recorded in Scripture. Look at verses 15-17. to This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief, howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on Him to have life everlasting. Now unto the King eternal, immortal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. What a beautiful, glorious 
truth this is. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Hallelujah. That means that the lawless and disobedient, the ungodly and sinners, the unholy and profane, the murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, manslayers, whoremongers, them that defile themselves with mankind, men-stealers, liars, perjurers, blasphemers, persecutors, idolaters, adulterers, drunkards, false teachers, all of them are not beyond the scope of grace. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. The law could never save them. Only Christ living in perfect obedience to God's law His whole life and imparting to us His righteousness. Only Christ dying upon the cross, taking the place of His people, His church, coming under the wrath of God for our breaking the law of the Lord, becoming sin for us, and rising from the dead victorious over sin and death, hell and the grave. It is only Christ Friends, this is the glorious Gospel that this ministry is all about. Nothing else but Christ. Paul says that this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. Do you believe this? Do you accept this? Or do you think that there are some people who are too bad, too great of sinners, too wicked and vile to ever be saved by Christ? Let that thought never come into your mind. Think of how wicked a man the Apostle Paul was he was a murderer of Christians. The chief of sinners as he describes himself. And yet Jehovah showed mercy to him. Friends, there is no one on this earth who is outside of the scope of Christ's salvation due to their sin except those who have sinned the sin unto death and blasphemed the Holy Ghost. There is one man whose eternal state is clearly written and for whom there is no salvation, and that is that man of sin and son of perdition, that Antichrist. Everyone else may be saved if the Lord Jesus Christ so chooses to use the Gospel to bring them unto Him. And if you don't believe it, Look at your own sin. Look at your own sin which you have been saved from. Externally, you may not think that you are such 
a wicked man as Paul once was, but you must see that every single sin that you have committed is a wicked affront to a holy God. Take after the Apostle Paul in this. Look at the sin of those around you and then look at your own heart and the depth of your depravity and sin within yourself and say, I'm worse. I am the chief of sinners. It's me. It's me. Whatever you've done, I've done worse. And if you're here today and you've not experienced this glorious Gospel of Christ Jesus saving sinners in a personal way, then I plead with you to repent and believe the Gospel. See that you are numbered among the chief of sinners. Let the law of the Lord expose to you the wickedness of your sin and your need for a Savior. Do not let this day pass uh, without coming before Jehovah in sincere repentance and faith and asking His Holy Spirit to take away your heart of stone and to give you a heart of flesh. All who hear my voice this day, the call to you is to come unto Christ Jesus the One who saves sinners. And then, respond in the same way that Paul does here in our text. With praise unto the Lord. Now unto the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. If you've been saved by Christ, if you have uh, had your sins forgiven, if you've been washed in the blood of the Lamb, then the only reasonable response for you to have is to give praise unto the Lord. He is the King eternal. He is the Sovereign over all things. He is the one who has dominion over your life and the one to whom you, uh, the one whom you are called to serve. He is the immortal, the one who has no beginning and no ending. He is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He is the first and the last. He is the invisible one. The one whom no mortal eye has ever seen. He's the one who dwells in unapproachable light, whom Moses, in just getting the glimpse of his glory, radiated uh, greatly as he descended from the mount. And he is the only wise God, the one from whom all wisdom and knowledge and understanding comes. There is none who is greater or more wise than our Lord, the Maker of heaven and earth, the Sustainer of all creation, the Author and Finisher of our faith. That is who you must praise.
Give honor and glory unto Him forever and ever. There ought to never be a day that goes by in which you do not give praise unto your God for who He is and for His wondrous works which He has done. If you're not in the practice of having daily private worship and family worship, then you need to get into that practice because He is worthy of your praise forever and ever. Let Psalm 107 be your guide in bringing honor and glory unto Him forever and ever. O give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endureth forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy, and gathered them out of the lands from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. They wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. They found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. Then they cried out to the, unto the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them out of their distresses. And He led them forth by the right way that they might go to a city of habitation. Oh, that the men would praise the Lord for His goodness for His wonderful works to the children of men. Brothers and sisters, this is the root of our faith. This glorious Gospel which the Lord has entrusted us with. Do not be deceived by the false views of the law of the Lord, but take comfort in the right use of it. That it is good and it is for your benefit. Do not take the grace of the Lord for granted because it is a wonderful thing that He would take someone who has violated His holy law and choose to use you for the sake of His kingdom advancing here on this earth. And never lose sight of that statement which is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. This is our hope. This is our foundation. This is our glorious Gospel. Let us pray. O Heavenly Father, we once again come unto Thee and we do thank Thee for this glorious Gospel. What a beautiful truth it is that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Sinners like us. And Lord, if Thou canst save us. Then there is no one whom Thou cannot save. O Lord, let that be a motivation to us to proclaim this glorious Gospel to this lost and dying world. 
this world which is headed towards hell. Let us proclaim the gospel truths unto them. O Lord, we ask that Westminster would never lose sight of this gospel because it is the foundation of the ministry here. And Lord, as we anticipate officer elections towards the beginning of the year, we ask that Thou wouldst raise up men to serve in office here in this church who will proclaim forth this glorious gospel. Those whom Thou hast called and put into the ministry. O Lord, we thank Thee and we praise Thee for Thou art worthy of all of our praise. And so to Thee, we bring honor and glory through the mediation of Christ Jesus our Lord, whose name we pray. Amen.